0: that we have a father that shows up he shows up I was thinking about that this morning you know one as a as a father <clears throat> the hardest thing to do was to go to choir concerts at school <laughs> that was tough especially in middle school the middle school choirs are just oh. It's, a, it's an experience. And, um, you know, I, I have a, a, a good wife that always encouraged me to be a father that would show up. And I did. I mean, I'd, I'd go in and wanted earplugs. But I showed up for my kids. For 16 years, I've showed up for my kids to be there to support them even when they didn't want to be there. But I was thinking about it and how God shows up to every event that we have. Every circumstance that comes into our life. Every situation, every place we are, He shows up. When you pop your eyes open in the morning, He's there. Looking at you saying, I'm here. I'm here. Let's walk together today. We have a God. We have a father that shows up. You know what? It doesn't matter how good you sing. It doesn't matter how um, great you sing. It doesn't matter how great you think you sing. He shows up. He shows up. It says in the word that he inhabits the praises and the worship of his people, of his children. God shows up. I got some good news for you today. He's here. The King is here. The King is here. Long live the King. Long live the King. He's here. He's here. He showed up, not for me, but for you. He showed up for each and every one of us individually. He showed up. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being our father. Thank you for being a good father. Thank you for always being a faithful father to show up and inhabit our praises and to love us and to push us and to approve of us in everything we do in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You received that today? All right, give the Lord a hand clap. Give him a shout. Amen. Amen. Good deal. Well, turn around and tell somebody hello. Tell them you're glad to see them. Hey, everyone, high school and junior high are staying in the auditorium today. Junior high and high school are staying in the auditorium today, so if they're moving that way, go get them. Tell them to come back. Tell them to come back. I'm not that bad. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you all today? All right. Well, good to see you all. to want to welcome our Facebook Live um, audience. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, whatever platform you're on, whether it's Facebook, whether it's... Uh, n3c.tv whatever you're joining us on thank you for coming into our house and allowing us into your house and i hope that uh that just as we feel the presence of the lord in this place i pray that wherever you're at it uh just feels his presence fills the room amen Amen. all right well y'all got your bibles today if you would go over to isaiah chapter 14 isaiah chapter 14 that's where we're going to kick off today um I want to really, real quick, if you need to write this down or something like that, if you all know who um, Paul Reynolds was, uh, he usually sat over here. I think just the last few few times they came, he sat over here in the middle. He was an older gentleman with uh, coming in in the wheelchair and the oxygen and stuff like that. Um, Paul had passed away of of COVID back in December, right, LJ? On the the 2nd. And um, anyways, Paul had passed away. And um, we're going to have his funeral here uh, next uh, Saturday. This coming this, this coming Saturday, um, here at the church at 10 o'clock. If you knew Paul, uh, LJ said that you're more than welcome to come. He wanted just to get out there. Um, that we're we're going to have a memorial service for him, for uh, for Paul on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. So uh, you're more than invited. Amen. Is that all? Amen. Is that good? All right. If you have any questions, talk to LJ. He's right over here. Wave your hand. There he is, and and he can help you out. Um, so with that, um, I have the honor of getting to uh, minister his his homecoming. Amen. All right. Well, you're in Isaiah chapter 14, right? Um. You know, as as you read the Bible, especially in the New Testament, as you get into the New Testament, there are in the in the Greek which is what the New Testament mostly was written in, uh, in the Greek, there are three Greek words, different Greek words, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to try to even pronounce them, um, but three Greek words for our one word, fear. For the word fear, in the English language, there are three different Greek words that uh, that are there in the, in the New Testament. And um, so I wanted, to, I wanted to just throw them out there and, and give you kind of a little small definition of what those uh, those Greek words are. Uh, the first one, what we could call is the spirit of fear, the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear, that word fear means, to, uh, means cowardice, timidity, and a lack of moral strength. Y'all been scared before, right? You know, you reach your hand into a a bucket or something at your house and there's a snake in there. Yeah. Um, You know, I think about Moses whenever God told him to throw down his staff and he threw it down and it turned into a snake. It says, Moses fled. I'm with Moses. (laughs) You know, and some of y'all don't even, you know, aren't scared of snakes, but... Yeah, I'm scared. That's where cowardice and timidity and lack of moral strength comes into play for me. Um, a good place to find this word is in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. God hadn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And so most of the time when we talk about fear, when, when we as Christians or we as a as a culture, talk about fear, a lot of times it gets lumped over into the, the a negative connotation. And as Christians, you know, what we're taught to do is when fear comes, we're, we're taught to courage our way through. Right. Yeah. We're taught to, to, to rise up in courage and, uh, you know, and push through what we feel and how we feel, just push through, right? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. You all awake today? All right. So that leads us into the second one. The second one, uh, second word, would be put into our English language as "godly fear." Godly fear. Godly fear is reverence, piety, and great respect. It's not that running from a snake type of deal. It's it's about honor. It's about respect. As a matter of fact, it says great respect. Hebrews 12, 28 says, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Because fear is is used so many times in the negative sense, sometimes we take that godly fear and we lump it over into the timidity fear, the cowardice fear. Sometimes we think, well, we've got to be afraid of God. We don't have to be afraid of God. Amen. We honor him. We reverence him. We we, we show respect, great respect for him. So, so godly fear is where respect and honor are defined in our relationship in God as a good father. Amen. And the third one is, and I, and I will say this one because in the Greek, because the, this one... Um, We we understand because the third one is called in the Greek phobos. It's where we get our word phobia. But here's the Greek definition for that kind of fear is it is a source or an occasion of fear. So in other words, it leads to that kind of fear. That phobos fear either leads us to dread or great respect. It's, it's one of those things. See, the other two were definitely cowardice and definitely respect, but that word phobos means it's the source or the, the occasion of fear, which would mean that we have a choice in that fear. That's probably where Moses was because he threw down the staff, it turned into a snake, it says Moses fled, but then he had to go pick that staff back up. So he had he had that choice of fear. Which which way was he going to go? Which one was he going to, to to choose? It was it was a choosing, in that moment. In Matthew twenty eight, the uh, it tells of when um, um, Mary Magdalene, and the Mary and the other Mary that um, broke the the alabaster box over Jesus' feet, you know, and anointed his feet. So the two Marys went to the tomb to find Jesus that next morning after he um, was raised from the dead. And they got there and the angels showed up, these two angels showed up or an angel showed up and talked to them and told them that he's not here. They had a choice at that point to either have dread or have respect. And I like what Matthew 28, 8 says, um, it says so they the the two marys went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy they had fear and great joy they had this place this phobos they could either choose to be in dread and think that jesus body was stolen by somebody or they could be respectful reverence and 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 That's what they did. It says that they feared, but had great joy. And so they ran back and told the others about Jesus' resurrection. Or they could have said that he's gone. Somebody stole him. But they didn't, right? So with that, that Phobos kind of fear is the moment of choosing the response to fear the response to fear, whether it be dread or respect, that response hinges on who we give our strength to. The choice that has to be made at that point is the response of who we give our power and our strength to. Are we going to give it to dread or are we going to give it to respect? That's where we're at. That's what has to be done. And this is where the enemy walks in our day-to-day life. He's, he's, try, he's, he's walking in your life to try to get you into situations where you'll choose dread. He wants us to choose dread. Now, I want to say something here. And if you've been in church for very long, you're going to go, mm, I don't know if I agree with that. But hang on. See, I believe that the devil... So see, this is, this is where you can say, well, I don't believe that because I believe, just because I believe doesn't make it right. But this is, this is the way my brain works. The devil did not desire to be evil. He didn't desire to be evil. He didn't, he didn't want to be defined as evil. That's not what he, why he does what he does or how he got into the um, business of, of evil. <laughs> He didn't say, I want to be evil. Because see, God didn't create him to be evil. He was like the second in charge in heaven. He was the leader. He was the praise and worship leader of heaven. Before earth was formed, before people were on earth, he was the praise and worship leader of the angelic armies. His name was Lucifer. And so he didn't desire to be evil. He didn't want to be defined as evil. So I'm not saying that he isn't evil or that he doesn't work evil because he does. He's been in the business too many years. And in John 10, 10 still says that he came, that the enemy comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But the original sin that got him into that business, his original sin, was that he believed that he could be greater than God. He believed that he could do a better job. He looked around at all that God was doing, and he said, I think I can do it better. I have found that in church world so many times. Being, being a pastor for 20, almost 21 years, I've seen that. You know, people coming to me, Pastor, I can do it better than you could. You know, they don't say that, but they act that way. See, the the enemy, Satan, the devil, Lucy, (laughs) fur, he just wants what God has. He just feels entitled that because he was such a great worship leader that people were worshiping him and and he he just wanted what God had and and he doesn't he doesn't want God to have mankind he doesn't want God to be in the earth he doesn't want God to do any interaction with what's going on here, and that's where he has to manipulate and deceive and be in the evil business you know he's the, he put the evil in devil oh, you all get it in a little bit. Maybe on the way home. But let's, I just wanted to throw his story in here real quick. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, this is, this is a, a written um, in the direction of who Satan is. It says, verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, when he is Lucifer, he's a good dude. How, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the heavens, or heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. That... Was his attitude. That was where original sin began. Is when he said, I'm going to exalt my throne above God. That's where evil happened. That got him kicked out of heaven. And Jesus said it. He, he said, I saw him crash to the earth like lightning. God kicked his butt out <laughs> because he had this place on the inside of him that wanted to rise above God's throne. So put that in your pocket and let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that your word is life. I thank you that your word is our bread of life. And I thank you that as we break open the bread of life, that Father, your blessing falls upon your word. And as we hear your word, as we see what you are saying it brings blessing into our life. And God, I thank you so much, so much for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that communicates your word to us in, in the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> I was thinking back as I was putting this together. I was thinking back um, several years ago. We, we bought this building. And we had to do some remodel work in this building. So it seemed like every day we were coming to the church to do something uh, constructive or whatever. N- not me, because I'm not a very good construction guy. Um, I was kind of a gopher to the guys that knew what they were doing. So we were coming out here every day. And at, at that time, we, uh, Lynette and I were living over in Fort Collins, um, right on the right on the edge of Fort Collins, the uh, Timnath area. And... I had to drive out here every day. And we were doing some Bible studies and things like that. We had rented a building over in Alt. And so I was used to cutting out to Highway 14 and running 65 miles an hour all the way into Alt. And so this day I was coming to the church on 392, and I was thinking, I guess, I was on Highway 14. And here between County Roads 35 and 37 on... 392 there's a hill right at the top of the hill i'm cruising i'm just i probably had some music on and was just cruising yeah i was comfortably speeding i mean i comfortably speed everywhere but not that fast i mean i don't push the the well i do push the limits but um i okay never mind this because this all goes into what i'm saying I'm comfortably speeding, not realizing that I am. And I hit the top of that hill. And when I hit the top of that hill and dropped over, there is a state trooper coming at me. And, of course, what do you do? You look down and go, oh, no. And as he passed me, he was standing on the brakes. And I thought, he got me. He got me. So I come on down to 37. I pulled over, and I waited on him to get there. Because I... I mean, some people say, well, don't, don't, um, I might fall on that later. I better pick it up. Anyways, um, you know, don't admit your guilt. You know, you get pulled over. Don't admit your guilt. Dude, I was guilty. And, and so, you know, he comes up to the, to the truck and he says, um, you know, um, you, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, Do you know why I pulled over? <laughs> He said, Well, you were, you were doing 67 and a 55. Like, yep, I was. I sure was. I said, I just wasn't paying attention. And, and so, um, you know, in today's society, especially in this last year, that what, um, what media, what some people are telling us is that when a police officer approaches you, that you better be in dread. You better be in fear. You better be in terror because he might whoop on you or do something to you. And that's not the way that I look at the men in blue Amen. and the women in blue. That's not the way that I see that's not the way that I see them. I don't care what society's telling me to do. I had a choice at that point. Do I dread this guy? Do I roll down my window partway? I've seen these videos where these guys roll down the window partway, and they'll argue with the cop, you know, and argue with, or with the the, the trooper, the, uh, the deputy, or whatever. They'll argue with them on their rights, civil rights, all this kind of stuff. And and I, I get it, I, I get it, you know. But for me, I had the choice to either dread this officer coming up, or respect and honor this officer coming up. And I chose respect and honor. I pulled over for him because I knew he was coming after me. I rolled down my window and had all my st- paperwork ready for when he walked up because I knew. I knew. And um, what was funny about that deal is I had just eaten lunch or something, and I had a bottle of, of uh, cream soda, mm-hmm. like a long neck bottle of cream soda, sitting <laughs> in the console. You know, and he said, what you drinking there? Oh, you know, I showed him it's, it's this, it's cream soda. He said, all right. He went back and gave me a ticket. Um, at least it wasn't for open container, but it was for driving 67 and a 55. And he said, it, he said, I'm going to lower it down for you because of honor. See, we have a choice to either recoil or Respect. Last week, we talked about a lion's roar and respecting the roar. And this is part two today, I guess, because I'm going to stay in that vein. But we talked about the lion's roar and, and, uh, you know, a natural lion, not just God as the lion of Judah, but a natural lion. And what a lion does when he roars, when a lion roars... In the wild, he is declaring. He is calling out. He is the loudest thing on the Serengeti. He is the loudest thing at the zoo. To hear that lion roar is so loud and so awesome. And it's because the lion is declaring things. Last week we talked about he's declaring his territory. He's declaring his pride, his not not puffed up pride, but he's declaring his family. You hear a lion roar, you can better believe that there are going to be 10 to 30 more around close somewhere. And he, he declares the way home or a, like a beacon that when he roars, his family begins to draw close to him. And so he's declaring these things. And and so likewise, God's roar declares his supreme authority. He declares his kingdom. He declares his love. He declares his grace and his mercy for his people. He's declaring these things when, when God begins to roar. But his enemy, the devil, Satan, his enemy wants what he has. So he'll stop at nothing to get what he has, what God has. Amen? Amen? If you would go over to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5 over in the New Testament, almost to Revelation. If you get the Revelation, back up. 1 Peter is right before 2 Peter. So if you hit 2 Peter, figure it out. I believe in you. First Peter chapter five, and 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 this was written by the apostle Peter. <laughs> Hence, First Peter, and and he's writing this letter. It's it's a letter. It's it's not a book. It's a letter, and he's writing this letter to the Christian community uh, that is outside of Israel. So up in the northern parts and and stuff like that, uh, where the where the Gentiles or the people who weren't Jewish were. He's writing this letter to the Christians outside of Israel. And what he's communicating, what Peter is communicating there are the difficulties of being a Christian in non-Christian communities. That's what 1 Peter is all about. He's telling them how to operate, how to conduct themselves in non-Christian atmospheres as a Christian, conduct themselves as a Christian in non-Christian, non-Christian environments. And so dealing, uh, he's, he's dealing with the tensions and the uncertainties of their day-to-day life. How many of y'all can relate that we're in those times? We're, we're in those similar times, that, that there's a lot of tensions, there's a lot of uncertainties that we're dealing with. And so Peter's telling people, uh, communicating to people how to navigate and thrive during those times. And so I just wanted to give you, you can go back and read all that, but I wanted to give you one verse to just hang out on just for a little bit. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And it says, Peter's writing to the people, and he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil wants what God has. And the only way that he can see how to get what God has is to operate through manipulation and deception and begin to imitate who God is. I um, I was watching TV the other night, and there, y'all, have you all ever heard the comedian Frank Caliendo? He's a he's a imitation guy. He can do all kinds of voices. He hears these these famous people's voices, and he can to a T mimic them. And he was doing um. Who's, um, gosh, I just lost his name. No? Uh, he's the, he's the, um, Morgan Freeman. Thank you. And he did it when he, when he imitated Morgan Freeman, he sounded exactly like him. Without seeing him do it, you would have thought it was Morgan Freeman doing it. And, and I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed how well that is. And this is what the devil has done. He mimics God. He walks around like, what did it say? He walks around as or like a roaring lion. Because he doesn't want God, doesn't want God to have, he wants what God has. See, a lion's roar is fear-inducing. It's fear-inducing. Whether you hear it in the wild, whether you hear it at the zoo, it's, it's fear-inducing. And, and, he, and to, to his pride, to his family, it's comfort. And to the prey, it's warning. It's fear. And Satan knows that. And so Satan... Satan says, you know, that's it. If I can imitate God, if I can just imitate God's roar, I can possess his territory, his pride, his people, and his way. I can get them to come to me. Deception and manipulation. It's his mode of operation. It's the way he does. Modus operandi. So last week, we, we talked about um, Job. Remember, we talked about Job. If you are here, here last week, we talked about Job and how, what kind of man he was. And, and Job, when we turn to the book of Job and you start reading it, you don't have to go there. But when you start reading it, um, what you see is a man that is living his best life. He is living life and living it good. He's a successful man. Um, he's got wealth. He's got prominence. He's got a good name. He's a godly man. He's right with God, and he's honorable, and he's morally and ethically pure. And it says that he was so right with God that he shunned evil. When evil would come his way, he would walk away from it. He'd, he'd, he'd move far from those things. So um, Satan came to God to complain about Job. He come to God and he says, what you do with Job and how you protect Job, that's unfair. Y'all ever seen little kids like that? That's not fair. It's just not fair. It's not fair that you're doing this. It's not fair that you're protecting him. It's not fair how successful you're making him. It's not fair that he's an influencer in our society. It's just not I love what God said Job chapter 1 verse 7 He said And the Lord said to Satan From where do you come? So Satan answered You know God's saying Where'd you come from? Who are you? He knows who he is But he's like Who do you think you are? So Satan answered the Lord and said I come from going to and fro on the earth And walking back and forth I like that. He's just walking around. See, so many of us Christians think that Satan is everywhere all the time. He's not. He's just walking around. He's just just walking around. That's all he's got. He ain't even got a Bentley. You know? You think think all his manipulation and deception, he's driving around in a Bentley, but he don't. He walks. heel toe. He's just walking around. Well, the devil did this to me. Probably not. It's probably one of his beings. Because the devil, he's probably somewhere else. He's probably over in the Middle East or something like that. Maybe he's in D.C. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, did I say that with my outside voice? I'm sorry. He does know how to set up a throne on the earth. We'll just leave it at that. And, and so God is answering him about job. and he said, he said, "Where'd you come from?" He said, "I'm' just been walking around the earth, you know, just here and there." And God said, "Well, so is Job. Job's just been walking. He's a man. He's just been walking around on the earth. He's got some Bentley camels that he's been riding on, but <laughs> but still yeah, you know he's just, he's just cruising. It's just cruising. But God said, he, but he respects my roar. Amen. He's walking around as a man, just like you're walking around, but he, but he respects my roar. Amen. So God tells him this, and this is my terms. This is, this is the way I would say it if I was God. I'm not going there. But... He told the devil, he said, go try out your copycat roar. Copycat, get it? (laughs) Go try your copycat roar and see that Job will remain faithful. So what did Satan do? He took his advice and he went and roared against Job. He roared against his possessions and took them all away. He roared against his way of living and took it all away. He roared against his family and took it all away, except his wife, who he should have taken. (laughs) But Job's wife was probably the devil's sister, so he's like, I'm not taking the sister back. Listen to it, because she's, she's the one that told Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Job said, yeah, "I know your brother." Anyways, he took his family, all his kids, and he and he took his health away from him. But the Bible says that Job never sinned or blamed God. He never sinned. But what happened to Job in the midst of that is that he was consumed with fear. Because in Job chapter three, verse 25, he says, for the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. He's, he's sitting there in a, in, a, in a pile of ashes, dressed in burlap, boils all over his body. Did y'all understand that? Boils, boils all over his body. That's okay for boil, you know, or for boils. He's, he's got these and he's, he's miserable in his health. He's sad that his kids are dead. He's sad that his business went away. He's sad that he has nothing to his name anymore. And he's sitting there and he says, the, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me. But see, it was not a fear that was sin because it said he never sinned or blamed God for any of that. So it wasn't a sinful type fear. It wasn't a cowardice fear. It was a place where he revered and respected God in the midst of what he was going through. He hated, he dreaded and he was terrified of everything that happened to his family, and his business and all that kind of stuff, his servants. He was terrified of that but he was respectful toward God. He was walking in that middle place of choice. I can, you know, it wasn't Job's fear that caused the attack because he was righteous. It was the attack that brought the fear. It wasn't fear that brought the attack. It was the attack that brought fear. And I can, I can relate with that. I told you last week a little bit of my story whenever they diagnosed me with Parkinson's disease. And I remember sitting in that doctor's office, and I think I said this, but when he started saying, he said, yes, you have this. When he said that, there was a ding inside my head. There was an explosion inside my head to where I could see this doctor's lips moving, but I could not hear a word he was saying because of the fear of my quality of the rest of my life was in question. And he's telling me everything that can go wrong and will go wrong and you know might go wrong. He's telling me all this stuff as a doctor's got to do. He's got to do that. But I don't hear a word he's saying because my ears are ringing so loud from the concussion of the words that were said to me. I, I didn't know whether to cry. I didn't know whether to laugh. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether to kick him in the, because he sitting in front of me to keep it out right there, you know, and let him feel that. Let his ears ring a little bit. I, I had a choice. Am I going to be in fear for my life or am I going to push into God and respect him? I immediately felt consumed at the occasion or the source. It was a Phobos moment. I had a choice. So going back here to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says this. He says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about. He walks about. Did you get that? As a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I like what how Peter Begins to push into this because he uses some pretty big words here. He says, "Your adversary, the devil. Your adversary. What is an adversary? This word in adversary. Uh, this word in the Greek adversary is an opponent in a lawsuit. It's a. It's an opponent. This is. I mean, this is a courtroom type of situation. And and it's an opponent in a lawsuit." And what does an opponent in a lawsuit do, but contends for everything? The, the, the lawyer that is against you in a lawsuit is contending for everything that he thinks you have. He's contending for everything that you are. And the enemy, the devil is contending for everything that you are to God in this situation. A good example of the contending would be um, a few weeks ago on Table Talk, Lynette and I did communion with you guys. Those of you who joined us that night, we did communion together. And and we talked about communion, what I like to say, the meal that heals. There is health. There is such a huge healing property within communion that that's kind of what we leaned into that night. Is healing. Well, we took it on that Wednesday night. Saturday, I come down with COVID symptoms. I mean, just because you take communion doesn't mean, oh, I got this. I got this. If, if, you, if you think that, like, I think that, you know, it's, it's very confident. You know, you take communion and you can be very confident in what God's word says about communion. But the devil will roar contending for your health he's contending all of a sudden i find myself in contention we find our household in contention contending for our health we can't just take communion and say we got it and devil can't touch you you say you got it he's going to say i want it yeah. and he begins to roar He begins to roar against you, contending against you. He is the adversary. He's the one objecting in the courtroom. And like an opposing lawyer studies. See, when you go into a courtroom situation against another lawyer that's trying to sue you, he's going to find everything out about you. He's going to dig into your past. He's going to dig into everything that you are. And he's going to find the weaknesses that he thinks that he can turn the tables on you. So like an opposing lawyer, Satan studies us. I don't know whether to say this or not. (laughs) There are things in the Bible called familiar spirits. And just like we love to lean into confidently and saying that we have a guardian angel around us, which I believe is absolute, there is a guardian dark angel on the other side that is called a familiar spirit. And that familiar spirit walks with you. He don't necessarily get involved in your life. He's just taking notes. He's, he's like a paralegal. He's just taking notes so that when you hit that courtroom situation with your adversary, he's written things down about you that will condemn you in the eyes of the, the lawyer. How many of you know we got Jesus? Amen. Jesus has to step up and say, man, I hung on the cross for that. You can't charge him with that. I already took that. But still, until that happens he contends and even when that happens he contends Am I making sense to you yes. See he knows the the adversary knows or the opposing lawyer knows what we love he knows our emotions he knows our tendencies he knows our weaknesses all in order to use against you So the devil is an adversary. Peter writes that and he says, because your adversary, the devil, walks about, walks about, just like he did with Job, looking for our weaknesses, looking for our vulnerabilities, to steal our peace, to steal the blessings that God has given to us, to steal your prosperity, to steal your health, He's walking around because if you put your trust in God for those things, he is trying to get those things because he does not want God to have what he wants. It says he walks about like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion. It didn't say he is a roaring lion. It just said that he walks about like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion. See, I heard this preached several years ago, and I don't know, maybe you've heard it preached this way, but I heard somebody say a long time ago that a roaring lion is a toothless lion because the the king lion, the the main one of the pride, the leader of the bunch, he's getting old, and he's getting toothless. His teeth are falling out, and so he knows how to roar loud enough to get the lady folk to go and hunt for him. And once they kill this, whatever they're killing, he gets to go and have a little bit. If he's toothless, how's he going to eat? But somebody said, you know, that's, that's what Satan is. He's an old toothless roaring lion. I don't believe that for a minute because it says that he is seeking to devour. Now you can believe that if you want to and I, I give you that, whatever, whatever you want to do. But you know what? If he's a roaring lion, how can he devour? Because the word devour means to destroy and swallow. Destroy. It means means that when we let fear eat us up, which roar have we chosen? When we let dread and terror eat us up, when the, when the doctor says something to you and your fear goes over into letting it eat you up, I let, I let it eat me up for a time. I mean, I, depression, anxiety came. I would look at my kids and I would think, am I going to continue to be a good dad or are they going to have to take care of me? I wiped their heinies at one point and are they going to have to wipe mine? <laughs> you know? I looked at, I looked, hearing what the diagnosis was, I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, what's going to be my quality of life? How quickly or how long out, you know, for the rest of my life? What's what's the deal? I began to be eat up with fear. And that's what the roaring lion wants to do. He wants to devour us. He wants to eat us up with fear. So I was looking into a few more lion facts. And what I found out is this. When a lion hunts in the daytime, he looks for the most vulnerable prey. He looks for the weak. He looks for the sick. He looks for the youngest, um, those little things. He don't look at the healthy, massive, something that can fight back. He looks at the weak. He he goes searching for the week so when he's searching for the week now this is this is in the this is a daytime hunt this is out in the open in the daytime The second thing he does is he positions himself and waits for an opportunity he, the opportunity he's looking for is them not paying attention them, the, the prey has his head down eaten not paying attention, not being alert to anything that's going on around him and so the lion crouches. And he stalks, and then he roars. And when he roars, the panic that happens in the prey all of a sudden amps up. They weren't paying attention. Now all of a sudden they hear the roar, and when they hear the roar, it's too late. Because when they turn and run away from the roar is when the lion pounces, jumps on their back, sinks his teeth into their neck and breaks their neck and takes them down so that he can devour. See, it's, it's in the fear. It's in the panic. It's in the, it's in the dread and the terror that happens when we're not paying attention, when we're vulnerable. And Satan creeps up on us and he roars It's not to turn us to him. It's to make us run because the lion will only attack from the back. He don't attack anything face to face. He attacks from the back when they're running away in fear. Peter is saying this is what Satan does. His roar, his roar is to incite the element of surprise and attack through the fear and panic that the prey is feeling. So how do we defend ourselves? I'm so glad you asked because that's important to know, isn't it? Peter put this in here and I want to give you three attributes just to close this out today. Three attribute, attributes that Peter gives to what will help our response when the when, the, when Satan roars. When Satan's imitation of God roars. Number one, are you ready? I'm going to give you three of these. Number one, Peter said here, be sober. Be sober. Somebody said, oh, pastor, you just took my bourbon away from me. You just took my Pendleton. That's not what that means. I'm not saying that you need it or to keep it. I'm just saying that's not what this means. It's not about taking your liquor away from you. What he says to be sober here is he's saying, don't be intoxicated with this world's issues. What happens, what is happening in this day and time? We're all feeding, I say we all, a lot of us, many of us, especially us Christians who are patriots are feeding upon what the world's issues are. And I don't care what side you're on. I don't care what media you listen to. I don't care. It's still pulling us in to eating with our heads down and not being aware of what's going on around us. We think we know what's going on around us, but in the spirit world, we're not paying attention. Don't be intoxicated with this world's issues. Our world is noisy. And that noise can fog our senses to where we don't feel the enemy coming. We don't smell the enemy coming. We don't see the enemy coming. We don't hear him coming. We don't, it's just, it's, it dulls our senses. It fogs us out whenever we get so, so consumed with what the, what's going on in our world. We forget and we begin to grow numb. of what's truly, truly going on around us. We have our heads down. He says, be sober. And then he says this, number two, be vigilant. Be vigilant. Being vigilant means pay attention. Pay attention spiritually. Put yourself in a place where you pay attention spiritually. You may say, I'm paying attention of the news and what's going on in our society. Fine, fine, but don't give more attention to that than you do the spirit of what's going on. We can get so consumed with what's in front of us that we lose what's going on around us. And can can I just, here's kudos to the devil, all right? Good job, devil. He is patient. And we should be able to outpatient him. But he's patient. He'll sit in that crouch position for years. Waiting. Waiting for us to get our heads down and start munching on CNN. Munching on Fox. Munching on Facebook. Munching on parlor Well, not this week, but... But we have our, our spiritual heads down and we don't have our spiritual heads in the game. Amen. And he's waiting, he's patient. He's just waiting, he's waiting. He's waiting. And we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should just be aware of that. Then Peter writes in the next verse and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, he says this. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist him who the lions roar, the imitation, the devil, right? Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. He says, resist him. Resist him. The word resist in the Greek there means to set yourself against or oppose. Even though you're just this, his prey, it says, turn and face him. Set your, when the lion roars, you turn to that roar. Instead of running from the roar, you turn to the roar. And you set yourself against him. Now look, even though you're prey, God has given you armor. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 6 says that God's given you armor. You have the armor of God. How does that armor protect you? The armor that God has given us is mainly face-to-face combat, not a whole lot behind you. So if you turn your butt to the, to the roar of the lion, you're vulnerable. But if you stay frontward, you've got the shield, you've got the sword, you've got all this armor to protect you. Amen. And you know what? I can, tell you, I can tell you this. You don't have your own armor. You have the armor of God. And when you turn and face that lion's roar, he don't know but what God is in that armor. He just says, oh, that must be God. I better shut up and back over here. Resist him. Set yourself against him. Face the roar because Satan is by himself out there. You know, he may have some little goonies running around. But Satan is one of these lions that works alone. He works by himself. He's just there to roar and attack you if you want to run away in fear. Through your fear, he'll attack. But if you set yourself against him, he's going to say, I ain't got a whole lot behind me, so I'll just back off. Because lions kill from behind, not face to face. I like how he finishes out. That's, that's the three things is uh, be sober, be vigilant, and resist him, right? But you go on in verse 9 there and you begin to read down. It says there, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood. I cannot tell you, walking with the diagnosis that I've been given, I cannot tell you how many times i felt alone. I felt alone. Before Before I started going to our gym, before Lynette took us to the gym, <laughs> before she found that, I felt alone. I remember going into my office, sitting down to study the word, to, to gather a message or something like that. I began to go in there and said, I would close my blinds, close my doors, and I would lay on my couch and cry in the dark, as dark as I could get it because I felt alone. And what Peter's telling us here is he says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood. You're not alone. You're not alone because when, when you feel alone, like you're the only one going through it, like nobody else understands when you're there, that's an unhealthy fear. And what God is telling us, what Peter is saying through the spirit of God is he's saying, you know what? You got you to resist the copycat roar. And any time that I begin to resist the copycat roar, I found somebody who understands. When we went to our gym, I found somebody who understands. I found Wade back here. He understands what I'm going through. He's had the same doctor tell him the same things. And so we're in it together. Whenever we turn and face that roar, it's not just me anymore. It's me and Wade. It's me and Patty. It's me and my wife. All of a sudden, God puts you into a place and starts turning all these other soldiers around that are out there that when you thought you were feeding by yourself and you start walking. then all of a sudden, the the lion goes, "There's there's God. There's God. There's God. There's God. There's God. I'm out. I'm outnumbered. I'm out pressured. I'm outpowered. I'm sorry, we're going a little long. Is that all right with you? I'll be done in a minute. See, because we're Christians and we live on this planet, we are a target. We are prey in the enemy's eyes. Because there's another roar that's happening. Another roar is the imitation roar, the copycat roar of the one who we belong to. We've got to resist the roar of that one. But respect the roar of the one we belong to. Because Jesus is king. The king is not just the king of the jungle. He's not just the king of the beast. He is the king of all creation. He is king. See, we sometimes think that Satan is this big, ugly, muscle bound pitchfork and a tail looking like the rock. <laughs> red. And he's such a, he's got such a big voice and he's here to scare, to put the fear in you. He's definitely there to put the fear into us, but he's not what you think he is. When you go back and read Isaiah 14, you don't have to go over there. But when you read that on out, when he gets kicked out of heaven, when you read that on out, God says, he says, when, when we, when we do finally see him, in person, eye to eye, when we finally see him and what he looks like, God said through Isaiah, he said, we'll look at Satan and say, is this the one? Is this the one who brought terror to the nations? Is this the one who, sh- who shook kingdoms? Is this the one? Because that's not what I had pictured. I thought he was bigger and badder. But he's not. He's, he's a weenie. He's a wuss. Anything that has to use intimidation, yes. manipulation, and deception is a weenie. Yes. Right. Yes. He's not big and bad, and he doesn't look like the rock. As a matter of fact, he probably looks like... and I better not say it. <laughs> Caught myself on that one. He's not what you think he is. Amen. I love what Jesus said about... Um, I think it was about Herod. No, it was about one of the other leaders, Um, of the Romans, and he says, you tell that fox, he wasn't saying that he was foxy, he was saying that he was feminine. He says, you tell that feminine one, and he was really talking about Satan, not about that, that leader. That's why we'll say, really, is this the one? He's not big and buff, he's a weenie. So you can say, I give you permission to pray against Satan and call him a weenie. (laughs) Is this the one who shook kingdoms? Because see the one that created the kingdoms, the one that is king over kingdoms is the one that is big and buff and bad. You know what? Those angels that fly around you, those angels that come and walk with you, those angels are not little skinny women. They are massive. They look like the pro wrestlers. They are massive, and I've had people, I've had people tell me that they see an angel that follows me up here on stage, walks with me, and talks with me. Matter of fact, I believe that he's whispering in my ear, going, "Tell him, tell him this. Oh, don't say that because I don't." Sometimes I ignore him. That's bad. But people have told me that they see this angel that follows me around up here and that he's big. He's big. And he's buff. And he's bad. Don't come near me. You have ill intentions? You better stay on. I got my armor bears, but my angel's bigger than Riley. If you get through them... You won't get through him. Amen. Because Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is not an imitation. He's the original roar. It's the roar that we are attuned to. Not the fake. Not the imitation. Not the mimic. Respect the roar of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Did you get anything out of that today? Let me let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day and God, I I thank you that this message came out a lot better than I thought it would. (laughs) God, I just I thank you so much for your roar. I thank you for your roar that lives on the inside of us. I thank you that we are your territory, we are your pride, and we know the way home. So God, today we respect the roar, We, we listen. For the roar, we lean into your roar. Because that the way that we lean into your roar is the way of honor and respect, and knowing we're not gonna we're not gonna dread and terror and be in fear. We choose to give our power to you today, God. We fear you in the sense of honor. And respect. We respect your roar. Father, I, I thank you that you have called us to be Christians not for some power statement, but so that we could change the world that we live in. And I pray God that today, that as we step up as Christians, that we are changing our world. And that as the world changes, we are not susceptible to those things because we're in your armor. And I pray that we would be able to change some of those things that, that when the lion roars, when that imitation lion roars, that we can stand up with our brethren and stop it. But Father, today I know there's some maybe watching by our live stream, maybe listening to a podcast or maybe even sitting in this room. There may be someone, someone in here that you've never entered into a relationship with God. You've never heard his roar. Well, let me tell you what his roar initially sounds like. It sounds like that initially Jesus went to the cross. He died on that cross for our sin. And when he took that upon his body and died, they put him in a tomb. And three days later, he was resurrected. And when he come out of the tomb, that is the roar of Jesus. He's saying, look, I've taken it. I have I've, I've absorbed that from you. And now I am freeing you to walk in what I've called you to walk in, but you've got to come and follow me. I'm the roar that's calling you home. I'm the roar that's calling you to me. I'm calling you to be a new territory. A new family is around you. And the only way that you can get there is to say yes to Jesus, is to say yes to follow him. See, when Jesus called his disciples, he would walk up to them and say, will you come and follow me? And they'd say, yep. And they got up and started following him. That's exactly what we got to do. There is no prayer that can can save you. There's no aisle that you can walk that can save you. There's no hand that you can raise that's going to save you. It's saying yes to Jesus that saves you. Saying yes to the cross. Saying yes to the resurrection. And saying yes, I'll follow you for the days of my life, all the days of my life. And when you say yes to Him, your life changes. You're no longer this prey that has no. Roar to listen to except the roar of the enemy. We're not devoured anymore. We're consumed with his honor. So, Father, I praise you and I thank you that you've given us opportunity, that we seize the opportunity today. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, say, Jesus, I choose this day to follow you and I'll do it for the rest of my life. And when you say that, you're saying yes to him and your life changes. Your, your, your final address changes. You become a child of God and a child of heaven, and you walk into a kingdom that you've never been in before. But once you get into that kingdom, his roar continues to resound on the inside of you all the days of your life. Father, I thank you and praise you for these that are saying yes all over this room, all over um, the, the, the live stream, everyone who's hearing this, God, I thank you that they're saying yes today. Even those that are saying, that have said yes, are saying yes again. We will follow you and we'll pay, we'll respect and pay attention to your roar in Jesus name. Amen. 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 You received that today. All right. Remember, uh, Saturday at 10 o'clock here at the church, Paul Reynolds, uh, memorial service. Uh, we'd love to see if you knew Paul. He's a, he was a great,